Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome, everybody, to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. This is the October 28th edition. It's not quite the Halloween edition because I, I don't really dress up. I usually go as a serial killer, and they look like everybody else. It makes it much, much easier on my wardrobe, and I don't have to put on any makeup or anything. Um, this is the last, obviously, this is the last show for uh, October of 2016. And uh, I've got actually two guests. My, my, uh, the, the, the guest guest actually is Lonnie Jackson. And uh, he is, uh, what, what is your title for Upyre, um TV or entertainment or media or whatever you call it, um, Lonnie? It will be the president. Okay, so you're the president. And um, just so that everybody knows, he's in the middle of setting up uh, for, what are you setting up for? Is it a, a convention or, or what? Well, actually, it's similar to a convention. We're actually having our release, our first anthology series release tomorrow. Okay. So we're actually here at the event setting up, and we're doing it in a very unique way. It's not just to where we're just presenting our comic books from a literary aspect. I come from theater, and I come from music, and I come from film. So mm-hmm. I, I've always been a, a person that likes to create and make things interactive with people to where they can really, really, really have a connecting point. So what we're doing here is we're actually taking scenes out of our comic books and we're making them interactive. And an example of that, we have an escape room for one of our scenes um, that we're going to portray to where people will be able to, with one of our characters, will be able to either find the blood for the particular vampire and be able to allow that, that vampire to redeem itself. Or if they don't find the blood, you just have to find out if you come out and check it out. <laughs> but we like to do things in the interactive aspect from that point. So we're setting all of that up, building out the set, um, or finishing out the set and everything here. And, and where is here, in case people want to you know, check you out if they're in the area? Atlanta, Georgia. Actually, we'll okay. be in Tucker, Georgia. Uh, we'll be at Mark Squared Studios which is at 1804 Montreal Court, Studio B, Tucker, Georgia, mm-hmm. 3083. And how long will you be at that location? Is this just for the weekend and then you're out, or will you be staying through the next week? Yes. No, it's just for this weekend. And since this is the launch, we really want to just get a feel, you know, with the interactive platform that we're laying out. We really want to get a feel for people and see how they react to it. So we'll just be, be here for tomorrow from 730 to 1030. Okay. So anybody who happens to pick this up live or, you know, maybe during the day on Saturday, um, come on out. Now you know where, yeah, come on out, check it out, see what's going on. Um, so, all right, let, let's let's get to kind of like the nuts and bolts right away while I got you because I realize how important it is to, to work, and I, I, I'm guessing you're going to be working through the night because that's usually how things go. But know it. But what what was what was the genesis of of the um of, of I guess the comic you know the comic and its creative universe. 
Well, you know what? It, it kind of goes back, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of history if I can. Uh, when this, this idea came to me, and I, I will say this, Yupari is, is a, a character-based entertainment company that creates and develops characters and puts them through unique situations through literary works such as graphic novels, comic books, and novels. So that's what we are. That's what we do. We're a literary company. And it, it is okay. similar to Marvel Comics as well, too, because we, we, we like to create characters that are in-depth, characters that are relatable to people, because our mission statement is to connect, reconnect, and reconcile beings with God by creating those characters that are in-depth and are relatable, because that's what people gravitate towards. And ever since I've been young, I've always loved history, and I love reading, and I love reading about, you know, individuals or characters, because I can mm-hmm. connect with that, and I can use that, you know, to help me make decisions or look back and see, well, this individual kind of made this decision based off of their situation to help me learn from it. So ever since I've been young, my mother used to buy me books, and I used to read through them so much that she actually put me in speed reading, you know, to a point to where I would be able to comprehend a lot of information and then craft my own stories in my head. So it became a passion of mine um, mm-hmm. from that perspective. But the idea of the universe, actually, this idea or concept of Upyre came from God, honestly. You know, one of the things when we look out in the world and the communities, we see a lot of, um, I don't like to say negative things, I'm going to say deltas. We see a lot of conflict and a lot of challenges is one of the biggest things that you see is racism. And one of the things I wanted to approach and when God hit me with this, I was sitting down watching True Blood. I'm not sure. I know we got some True Blood fans out there, you know, but one of the unique things that True Blood did was they actually brought vampires right next to humans. Because when we look at history, very seldom do you see something like that. You always see vampires hidden um, amongst the general public or whatsoever to where now they're like, okay, when they see them, people get scared. But now they actually brought them out and, and made them more humanistic. And from that point, God just put into my spirit and was like, okay, what if a vampire actually drunk the blood of Jesus? Would it be changed? And that hit me. Like, oh, no, oh, I'm like, man. what? <laughs> Would it be changed? That's blasphemous. I'm like, myself, I'm like, no, that, that's blasphemous. I can't think about that. But as I sat back and, and God started speaking to me more and said, well, this is a comparison. Okay, you're born into a world that's evil. It's accessible to evil depending upon the environment you're raised, the people you right. were raised. You're right, okay. And depending upon that situation, you can tend to be, you know what I'm saying, where you don't have any hope or anything, and you feel like, okay, I'm not, I don't have a chance, so I'm not redeemable. I'm not a good person from that point. I said, that's true. And then God said, well, there are generational curses as well, too, that we all have in our families. Okay, these are all the things that we label as vampires, stereotypical. And then the last is they're murderers that drink blood. Well, look out in the world nowadays. Cut on the television, cut on the radio. What do you see? You see a lot of death, murder, by who? Humans. So then the, the big question came is what is the difference between the two? And I was silent. So, well, and, and okay, so how long ago did you, I mean, how long ago did this concept come to you? This is five years, well, actually five and a half years ago. Okay. I have to admit, though, the whole, you know, if a vampire bit Jesus, what would be the outcome thing? That is worthy of some thought. And that's pretty <laughs> yeah. creative. No, I'm serious, because when you think about that, the, the totality of Christianity is based mm-hmm. upon, you know, uh, the, the, the abiding question of Christianity is, did mm-hmm. Jesus walk as a man or did he walk as the son of God? Okay, mm-hmm. we, we we have people who, who will argue that forever, but but an entire, I mean, look at the, the entire, the gestalt of, the, of Christianity. 
based upon that. You know, you've got this, this Jewish guy who is the font, the source of Christianity. So, that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just interesting. And the fact that you said that, that was pretty cool. Because just thinking about that is, it, it, that's a fun thought in terms of a creative universe, in terms of putting together, you know, uh, uh, even, even the battle between good and evil. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's pretty hip. So you, you've got an idea that's got legs, okay? Mm-hmm. That's, that, I'm loving that because um, it gives you some longevity. Plus, you don't get to paint yourself into a corner right away unless you really do something stupid and jump the shark. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, you know, because most people never want to end up that way. But, there, I mean, look at all the sci-fi uh, TV shows that, that put together a premise and then paint themselves into a corner and have no place to go. What was that one that Halle Berry was in? I said I wasn't here. The, the, the sci-fi show that Halle Berry was in. Um, where she was actually sci-fi. You're talking about... She went out in space and got possessed by uh, some, uh, you know, some entity came back. Had a had a child, you know. I'll look it up, but 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 see, a show like that, you know, painted itself into a corner and had no place to go. You know, uh-huh. a lot of shows do that, and a lot of creative universes, people don't think out. Well, how am I going to keep it fresh? How am I going to keep it live? How am I going to keep bringing something new? And and just uh, you know, just that premise alone, you know, I I think that's pretty cool. I think that's very creative. And so um, I was talking to your right-hand person, um, M. Jason Graham, who is on the show. He's going to actually take over the interview when you have to go back and doing your setting up. But, um, mm-hmm. oh, Extant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's what it was, Extant. It's in, the, it's in the chat room. I've been admonished by somebody. Read the law, dang it. Like, I don't have enough to do here. You know, I got dishes. Never mind. But, but see, the thing is, is, no, no, I'm serious because – you know, um, MJ told me about you guys deciding early on that you're going to be a transmedia concern, okay, you know, a a transmedia communications company. A lot of people don't realize that transmedia has nothing to do with advertising per se, but what it has to do is the multiple medium and the multiple uh, opportunities channels for presentation of your creative universe. And I think that is also forward-looking. A lot of people don't know what that is. A lot of people, they go transmedia. You know, they're they're not sure what the definition is. But let's say, for example, you take your your comic series, and being a transmedia company, you have the, the opportunity to create, let's say, an online game, an offline game. Um, you can do uh, uh, television episodes. You can do movies. I mean, transmedia encompasses any kind of digital presentation of your creative universe. And so tell me what made you guys, you know, come to that, that, that planning, you know, that kind of focus um, early on. Well, there was a, that goes back to the whole trial, trial and error. Like I said, we spent about three years, you know, within this kind of doing like research and development. It started off with that concept that, that was given. It started off as a web series. Then we tried to take it to a television series. Then we tried to take it to an actual film. We tried to do all of those different things whatsoever. And it was very, very challenging because we were trying to take the same script and we were trying to utilize, because, you know, when you spend money, it's like, man, we don't want to go ahead and scrap this and start over. So 
we were trying to, you know, basically take what we have and salvage. And that was sure. a churn. But then we said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can do all of these things here, but we have to find a different, pro- a proper way to do that. And one of the key essential things that we were missing, the concept, like you said, was great, but people were like, okay, what about the story? When we created these web series, it was like, well, what's, what about the story? What, what is this about? So we took the fact that we have to go through all of that as well as we took the fact that in terms of, you know, we want to make sure that we're able, we wanna, that, we, that, that we are sustainable. We took all of that and said, hey, if you want to put money, time into this, let's make sure that we create something that can last a very long time. So that's when we start exploring and looking at, like, the Harry Potters, the Lord of the Rings, these are some of the favorites, and start looking at their universes, even with Marvel and DC, their universes, and exploring and researching those and saying, you know what? We need to create a universe because this concept, as you were saying beforehand, is very big, but it needs foundation. So it needs a universe. So we created the omnibus, and uh, I can let Jason expound on that. Now, omnibus is our own, what I would call our Bible. Okay. Um, all right. So, so Jason, what what was the what was the, the again the beginning of the Bible? Did you guys look at characters, story? Did you create the creative universe? Um, what what was the genesis of that? And where did that go? You know, how, what, what was the foundation upon which you were building the trans media uh, different focuses of each kind of um, uh, digital presentation? Well, it was really the, the concern. Um, and and we, were, we concerned ourselves with the, the idea of story um, because we had, we had an understanding that if, if a story has a solid foundation, then you can build pretty much anything on it, like regardless of of what the medium is, you can build around it if the story is solid. So mm-hmm. for us, uh, since uh, we have a a center, uh, and the center is is, is um, having to do with redemption, we me and Lonnie <laughs> actually uh, 2013. We stayed up for like four hours, so like from midnight until four in the morning, and we came up with the seven laws of Upiri that were basically these steps or actioning these steps would lead a person to redeem themselves in a particular situation. So once we hammered out the seven steps, then we had to decide um, how we wanted to tell the story. And so what we decided was that we needed a, a history in order to give the characters that had life um, from 2011, in order to breathe life into them, them, um, they needed to have full histories, but not only histories of the characters themselves, but an entire universe built around them. And so uh, Lonnie and I worked out what, essentially what the purpose of man and what the purpose of, of God what those two concepts were. Um, and that's when we came up um, with a way of, of ex- expressing God in a, in a way that I had not seen before, which was to say expressing God, the, the Christian or Judeo-Christian version of God, as a trinity. Um, okay. Generally, in, in other stories, God is a, a singular being, but in Upiri, uh, God is actually a trinity, and um, at the different attempts of create a creation, and it goes into it, um, each one of them 
takes over as the Godhead. So you have essentially the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working as a team together, but only one of them in a given age can be in, in control, as it were, can make the, the big decisions. Okay, so they take turns, take turns, you know, exerting mastery over that creative universe. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me ask you this: Are you wor- um, are you worried at all about offending anybody by choosing, you know, Christian nomenclature for your creative universe? Well, I mean, I I said Judeo-Christian because that is what most people are familiar with. Um, but the the idea of the Trinity is not really relegated to Christianity. Um, when you look at most of the god mythos uh, from African, Egyptian, um, and Greek, and um, um, even older ones, Sumerian, not Sumerian, I'm sorry. Uh, When you look at all of them, generally you find that there's a, in the pantheon, there are three main gods that are either in control or they are the creators, part of the creative creative force. So for the most part, most people here in America are familiar with Judeo-Christian um, values just growing up and being in our society, whether you, you go to the church or you're religious or not. So we sure. felt that to start, that would be a, a great way of, of explaining these extra-dimensional beings. All right, let me ask you this. So it, it, essentially what it seems like is you're borrowing means for for um, the convenience of your your readers, your customers, your, you know, the people who are are partaking of your content, but you're not, you know, in in no way are you suggesting that you know, you're your creative universe stands in for, you know, our reality. Well, no, and that's that one thing I will, that's one ahead, thing yeah. I will say is in terms of knowing, uh, we, don't, we don't look at it from that perspective. A key component to what we do is non-judgmental. Now, it goes back cool. to that whole, core, that whole core element. We use vampires symbolically as another culture to showcase the stereotype, stereotypes we portray against one another. So everything uh-huh. is symbolic. So when you look at even from the Koran, you look at from the Bible, different religious texts is not necessarily literal. It's symbolic as well, too. So we take those elements so that people can connect. But from that point, we don't push or press and say, this is what you need to believe. We present it to them so that they can analyze it for themselves and make that decision. So we don't, you, we don't press that upon people. And ultimately, you're just telling a story. You know, Correct. you're not you're not proselytizing at all. You okay? So Correct. I mean, that's pretty cool. And and the comics that you have now, I I was looking on your website. It looks like you've got do you have three editions out, or are there more? It's an anthology got, series right now, so okay. it's three. Yep. All right, and then let's let's talk about who's your target audience. Is this appropriate for young adults? Is this appropriate for teens or preteens? Um, where? about what level in terms of, you know, intensity are you writing for? Right now, in terms of starting out, this is more so for the mature audience. That's our rating. So for uh-huh. 18 all the way on up. 
I would say 18 okay. to about 35. That's the audience that we're looking at right now. And, and talk a little bit about the storylines that you've already um, uh, examined in, in these first three editions. Oh, Jason? Just, just generically, just generically. You know, I, I don't want you revealing anything because, of course, you know, for you to sit here and try to tell the stories, yeah, that's kind of boring. I mean, let's be honest. But what what manner of uh, no it, well is it not I mean I, I'm, yeah, I agree I'm with entirely you. honest with you you know when someone interviews me I never talk about you know I don't go and then so and so did such and such and uh, you know it, because that's not what you want to tell but you, you do want to tell people what that they can expect when when they pick these up so so what what kind of stories do you tell and uh, and 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 what is it that think is your best draw for for people checking out your creative universe? I'm going to let Jason answer that one. Okay. Okay, so we have three characters, each of them in three different stages of their lives. Um, each of them actually, the, their, their stories take place in three different parts of the United States. And the, their stories, their story in a nutshell is about the person that you believe that you are versus mm-hmm. the person that you actually are. So okay. each of them get put into a situation um, where they state who they are and, and what their values are, and then something happens, and they're forced to confront those, the, the dark corners of who they are and, and to either follow through with who they say they are, who they believe they are, or to reevaluate themselves um, and and deal with that and deal with the consequences of that uh, reevaluation. So, so it sounds to me like even though you have a, a well established um, creative universe, your stories are really almost completely character driven, um, either by circumstance or by by personality. Would that be fair to say? That would be fair to say. Yes. Um, and, and so between the two of you, um, I, I take it the two of you do most of the writing or all? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> that, that okay. You want to expand on that one, Jason? <laughs> yes. So what, what has happened is um, I'm responsible for writing the omnibus, which is essentially the history of the world of Upyre. Right. Um, and then we select which characters we think um, would engage our target audience. And then we engage writers and illustrators during this process. Ah, okay. In order to see what piques their interest, and then they pitch us. In this part of the process, they pitched us the story. Um, and we got our heads together because it's not just me and Lonnie that make these decisions. We're a company. So um, we have a number of department heads, actually. And so we reviewed the pitches, and then we selected um, these three stories and uh, based on these three characters. And um, the writers went from there. There was a whole writing room process uh, where scripts had to be turned out, um, they had to learn about the Upyre universe, understand, for instance, how our vampires are different from other vampires, 
and mm-hmm. how they interact in um, in human society, uh, as it were. And so understand the, the minutia, also understand the minutia of who the characters are and understand those characters' histories and who they are in that moment in their lives. So once all of that was done, uh, a, a script was crafted for each one of the stories, and then it was sent off to production uh, at that point where, you know, artists get involved, editors get involved in that kind of thing. So this is this has really been um, literally a nine-month process for this anthology that, that we started um, engaging writers in um, January, early, like right after uh, <laughs> the new year. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. And that's well, one you know of the what? things. That's Go one ahead. of the things that Jason was saying. You know, just to kind of sum up as well too is, you know, we're really um, writer and artist driven. This this world that we've created is not to a point to where we're taking where the writers and we have to pull from it. We really want to engage different writers because our, our our universe actually covers <clears throat> a span of history. So from that point, sure. hey, once we lay that continuity out, and that's the key thing, we lay the continuity. We want to bring be able to bring out multiple stories, and that and that kind of comes back to the transmedia platform that we see that, that universe becoming that platform for us where we can actually pull out many stories, not through us, but through different artists. And we're able to bring these stories to life through all of these different artists and writers. Well, that, that was one of the things that I, I just noticed about that. Your creative process and your, your, your procedural process um, mm-hmm. as, as a combination are exactly how, how um, people put together episodic television webisodes, mm-hmm. movies, and so in terms of the transmedia experience, you already have a creative team that's working in the vein of producing, um, uh, you know, similar content or related content, but for different kinds of digital output. So that Correct. speaks well of the process. And then, you know, I could see you adding your you know your nuts and bolts people okay well we want a great screenwriter oh we want to have a great uh, visual yep. um uh dp the dp mm-hmm. has to be involved in the process not yes. not just for filming but in the creativity because the dp can help you with your storyboarding and things like that for doing motion comics or motion pictures or webisodes or whatnot um how far along are you in in moving to uh, the alternative digital output, or are you still in the, you know, I could see how you would want to get a, a bank of stories, storylines, uh, characters, and then also um, once you get your, your core group of writers who are, are well acquainted with the universe, that sounds like a pretty damn good creative team. <laughs> that's, where, that's where we're working towards. You, you, you nailed it right there. That's what we're working towards right there. And I would say probably, you know, we have a program that we're going to roll out as well, too. This is really like our, with the first anthology series, we have our volume twos that will be coming out in February. Um, And then at this point, we're going to also transition over to the transmedia element. We're going to actually have a 3D animated web series as well, too, that will kind of connect, you know what I'm saying, some of the stories as well, too. So I would say in terms of within a year, after the year is up, we would be ready, you know, in terms of to move into that platform from a digital perspective. That's what we're looking and that's what we're forecasting. Yeah, see, that's that, 
that, and people should pay attention to the way you guys have planned this out. You've, you've executed, you know, you have already started to execute the campaign to, to provide an entire creative universe for your, your uh, for all aspects of this. I mean, you've got comics mm-hmm. now. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, obviously you could do trading cards. You could do, uh, Correct. you know, you've got, you've, got, uh, you've got 3D printers out there that could do all of your characters, you know. And, and you know, uh, there, there are so many ways that people can present their, their artistic output, their creative artistic output. And, and most people are still, just because they're easier to encompass and easier to understand, you know, they look at, well, we'll do comics. Or, or we'll do uh, 3D animated uh, um, webisodes or even, um, well, like um, Black Science Fiction Society of Com is doing its first 3D animated feature. And yeah, that's off the charges. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, but it, it appears that you have set out um, a, a very ambitious plan, you know, business plan. But but you've done it in a way that that really makes it easy. It makes it as and, easy as possible because you're 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 giving your creative people the guidelines for for creating all the way across the uh, the digital spectrum. And that's so important, right there, is in terms of with art, we have to look at in terms of business. And that's one of the things in terms of we we bring together from that point. We definitely are creative. There's three elements of the company. We're a creative entity. We're a ministry to where we help people, but also we're a business. So we try to make sure those three points, bullet points, we operate in evenly because that allows us to be sustainable. As you stated before, it allows us to create opportunities for people as well too and it allows us now to even compete because one of the things I come from is a, you know, just an international business aspect, and Jason himself as well too, he comes from a writer's background but also a business a foundation, and that was important, processes and procedures. With how do we sustain? How do we create a product? And we took just from the production format, you know, like, okay, this is something that's standard. People have done it for years. Let's take this now and put it into a creative process. It was a lot of research and development, and it takes some time. But once it gets moving, just like with a Marvel, a DC, you know what I'm saying, um, a IDW, you know what I'm saying, a Dark Horse, an Image, once it gets moving, then it, it can sustain you for a long period of time. And that's what keeps our focus. That's what allows us to sacrifice, one, and two, really set. You know, these are some of the examples that we follow and look at. It allows us mm-hmm. not to plan accordingly, not just creatively, but business-wise, so that we can sustain and we can actually, you know what I'm saying, be, uh, obtain some type of market share to where we can actually have some relevancy and we can present our stories out to people and not just – when we say stories, you said it early on, and you didn't know on the head. It's not just through comic books. It's graphic novels. If we want to tell a, a, a film, a feature film, what we have and what we've done is we, we, our strategy is to actually partnerships, partner up with strategic partners. That's been done for years. When you look mm-hmm. at, you know what I'm saying, the, the studio and the filming industry, all they do is say, hey, we're going to take care of marketing over here, then you take care of the production, we're going to team up because that's what we do well. So it's the same philosophy. If we want to do a film, we're going to provide the core base. We're going to provide the actual um, screenplay or the story. 
we can get a screenplay writer and write it. We're going to pass it over to the production company. Now you all produce it. That's our mm-hmm. strategy is to align with strategic partners to keep us alive. Our core competency is developing the characters and the stories, but then we pass them along. So that's part of our tree or our model, you know, as well. And I think that's important for when we start speaking on transmedia and for all other creators because there's a lot of creators out there who are not able to sustain, and it, it hurts their passion. And a lot of times they give up or they step back. So I, I think that is important is to surround yourself. Like with Jason, he has helped me tremendous, tremendously from a writer's perspective as well as from a business perspective in this field. As I come from music, theater, and film, that's what I bring to the table here, as you were saying early on. So when you, when you mix and match and bring in the right people with those skill sets, it also sets the foundation. Because at the end, the people make everything move. At this time, how how big is your team? How many people do you have regularly working toward, you know, the means to your ends? Your no, the right. ends to your means. You know, keep it going. <laughs> I, <know what's> <laughs> I got you. You know, keeping it on track and keeping it on track and 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 producing. No, seriously, because this is this is not an inconsiderable task, and I I know no one. I know no one who has every single skill set it takes to do what you want to do. So I am right. curious, what, what, what size team do you have currently that's working on this? Two things. One is a core team. Our core team is seven. Sure. Our core team is seven. And we have and, several strategic partners, but our core team is seven. Okay. And then, and then you're going to be smart and just bring in um, professionals to do nuts and bolts behind the scenes stuff when needed, but not keep them on full time. Like MC sure. Hammer was paying all them people to live up in his house when he wasn't touring. <laughs> you got it. You know, you oh, got no, it. I, I'm serious because, <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that you know, I, I help people develop their companies here in Chicago, all kinds of things, for-profit and not-for-profit. And, mm-hmm. and in large measure, when people get overly ambitious and they think, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to buy, you know, get all these people there, you know, what I want to do is I want to take them to a chair for a weekend and have them watch every single episode of BH1 behind the music so that Ooh. they know what not to do. Ooh, well, I, mean, I, love, I love it too, behind the music. Oh, man, oh, they, they break down some things. I, and I just will say well, this right here because I just got to say this right here because you hit, hit another head. Perception is reality, and a lot of times, you know, we – perish because of a lack of knowledge. We don't know and we don't seek from that point. And we don't have mentors. That's another key facet is we have yeah. mentors, people that actually support, who have done things, who have done, operated and have been successful. We have those. That's really, 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 really important. You know, we learned a lot on our own, but sometimes, you know, you want to learn from people who have went through and avoid that experience of bumping well, your head so many times. Absolutely, but but the other problem that we're still bumping up against is, you know, as much as there are so many black people, you know, in in creative endeavor, you know, whether they're doing comic books, uh, books, you know, um, movies, what have you, far too many of us still treat business as a zero sum game. So, so like you got you guys would never ever proselytize for my books. Because every time I sell a book, you would feel that that, that, that that book took money out of your pocket. And it's that kind of thinking that we have. And not, I'm not saying that you guys would, but I was just giving the example. But, you know, if, if authors don't, don't realize that if they help other people push their books, they're actually broadening their own audience. They're giving, you know, they're, 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 the chance of making more money is there. So that's another tough thing, too, because you have a lot of people out there 
who don't want to mentor, who don't want to help, who will not share their experiences because they think they're giving something away that's so vital that they're, they're putting themselves at a disadvantage. So mm-hmm. your, thinking, your thinking is good on that. I really like that. And, and which brings me to, to the question of you mentioned your community outreach, okay? Talk a little bit about that. You didn't call it that. You called it helping people. But yeah, ministry. Um, and I'll, your I'll ministry. But, but, but yeah. yeah, please. From that perspective, does, yeah, yeah. Just explain how that fits into you know the triumvirate that you created. Well, it starts from the beginning of the story, as Jason said early on. Um, the seven laws that was provided—that's the foundation of the universe, stories, and everything. Those seven laws connect to our <clears throat> our mission statement. Our mission statement is to reconnect, connect, and reconcile beings with God by creating characters that are in-depth, relatable, and unique so that people can okay. understand and be educated. So that's our mission statement. And how do we do that is the question. Well, these are seven steps that we're given. What are those seven steps? There's confession, there's sacrifice, there's understanding, there's love, there's diligence, there's discipline, and there's obedience. So those seven steps right there that are laid out, and it happens in different ways. And an example is understanding doesn't, it, it, understanding is not right or wrong. Understanding is more so saying, I see your point. And when we have discipline, we're able to now agree to disagree in peace and leave without any grudges. So these are some of the lessons through the characters, but also in our culture with some of the things that we do. You know, we pray. And when we pray, it's not a point of that, oh, you got to start it off with Jesus' name or you got to pray this way. Everybody prays in their own way. From mm-hmm. that point, we open that freedom up at this point in time. Let's connect as a unit. So from the culture aspect, that's, that's key. We spend time, you know what I'm saying, together with each other. But also in terms of within our endeavors, like when we actually have our books, we'll be giving away, you know, percentages or we'll be giving away percentages of our books to different nonprofit organizations that are connected to us internally. One of the organizations, you know what I'm saying, that we actually have internally is an organization that deals with um, battered women as well as mm-hmm. that deals with uh, individuals or men who have been incarcerated and who are trying to transform. So it's a change and transformation ministry. Sure. And from that point, those individuals who are incarcerated, when they come out, they got to, you know, be readapted back into society. So we'll be there to help them from that point. That goes back to our characters. These individuals have been through situations uh, and circumstances, and the core, the core message of what, what we speak is redemption. Redemption is basically to start anew. So now we give them that opportunity to start anew. So we share that through our stories through our culture, as well as through the actions out in the community. This is how we actually uh, minister to people. And even internally, we make sure in terms of we look out for each other. The village Mm -hmm. mentality in terms of when it comes to supporting and helping is very keen, meaning that people that come through you, Pari, we do not look for them to stay with us. We're not a company to say, hey, you got to come in, you got to sign up, sign for us for the next seven, eight years. Nope. At this point, we need you to come in. We need you to get what you need to get, go out and help somebody else. And even when people come in like artists and, and creators, we don't just pay them money and say, okay, go about your business. We give them ownership of some of their works. So these are just some of the methods that we, or how we operate when we look to minister to people. I mean, that, that's, it, it's so good to hear somebody doing that. You know, I just, uh, I just started a new thing with another friend of mine who was putting together a program for non-con- uh, non-violent conflict resolution. You know, you mm-hmm. can't just pull a gun and bust a cap at somebody's butt just because you're angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 
you know, a lot of people, you know, let's let's get down to it. You know, you go through elementary school and you go through high school, and especially in our communities, um, resources are are scarce. And when you look at scarce resources, you don't get the kind of well, I don't want to say ministry, but you don't get the kind of education that allows you to to figure out a way of resolving conflict without excuse me, without getting so violent. You know, it's it's the equivalent of, of the kind of training that a preschooler gets when the teacher tells a kid who's really, really upset and crying and they say, Well don't cry, use your words. Tell us what you're feeling. What what's making you so sad? And and after after that preschool and that kindergarten part, we don't we don't address how people can resolve the difficulties that they have as in, as as kids in, in a way that is constructive, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I'm I am so happy to hear that, and I'm glad that the philosophy the philosophy permeates your entire business model too, because that's mm-hmm. rather unusual. A lot of people are worried about well, let's get the money, you know. We want and let's let's protect our stuff to the extent that you know. We're going to have somebody sign some sort of Donald Trump-esque uh, non-disclosure agreement so nobody ever knows you even work for us, you know, that sort of thing. Instead, mm-hmm. it sounds to me like you've put together not only a creative universe that's inviting and inclusive, but you are also um, welcoming other people into that universe and into your philosophy of, of the, you know, the business model that you put together. So that all yes. sounds great, man. And so... Let's talk a little bit more about the the event. At the event, are you're rolling out? Well, you tell me what what is. Tell me the the totality of the event. What are what are the top three things that you want to accomplish at this event? Number one, we want to make sure that our product connects with the audience. That's one. Okay. Number two, we want to make sure people have a dynamic experience. Number three, so that you want to get you want to generate. Wait, let me go back. So you, what you want to do is you you're, you're generating an exciting environment so that people can, not, you know, be fired up about not only the actual content but maybe the overall strategy that you have in 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 creating and promoting your your universe, right? Absolutely, that's the experience. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. All right, and the third thing. The third thing is getting feedback, because that's one of the key things I think is important amongst any business model or just growth. You got to get feedback. Mm-hmm. That's those are the core elements there. And and so, how? What is your, you know, what is your background that that made you put together the two of you probably put together the brilliance of your approach so that a you didn't forget anything. That's really vital in terms of building a, a, a transmedia experience. And two, what was, yeah, and, and what was, how did you know to do this? Okay, so what, were there trials and tribulations? Were there, was there trial and error? Or were you just very methodical? Were you both trained or one of you trained in terms of putting together a business? Because this is, you don't, this is not common, your approach. Well, in terms of, in terms of, in, in terms of 
overall, to be honest with you, is really all of what you stated. It's really the experiences. Like me and Jason are both methodical, and there's others as well, too, um, such as Rafael, uh, Danielle, others, not to mention. We all come from diverse backgrounds and all of our experiences, and we happen to bond on a core element, which is we truly believe in helping each other. So to sum it all up, it's all of these experiences from all of these groups of people. And from my perspective as a leader, you know, I've went through a lot of different experiences. I've transitioned industries, you know, from, like I said beforehand, on the artistic level, I've transitioned from music, from being a spoken word artist to uh, an MC, all the way on down to theater, you know, directing, producing theater, all the way down to doing live shows, um, promoting shows, all the way down to you know, going into film, you know, acting in film as well as producing film. And Jason has mm-hmm. been a writer across the board as well as an actor. He's trained as well, too. I'm trained as well from a theatrical aspect. So it's, it's, that, it's the experience, it's the skill sets, but it's all of these different, you know, um, uh, trials that we've all went through. And that, to me, is the core. It's all those trials and the ability to come together and the ability to be able to agree to disagree in peace and be able to look at everybody's perspective and come to a solid decision. That's what got mm-hmm. us to this point, that right there. And it's unity. That's what got us to this point. I can pinpoint key things, but it's nothing individual I did. It was the group. So well, basically what you did was you, you learned from every experience you had, good or bad. Mm-hmm. You're Man, absolutely right. Well, a lot of people don't. You know, a lot of people give up. And and what, what was the big, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of experiences, but early on when you were starting to do, you know, all of these things in these various creative fields, what was it that sustained you? And, and did you have enough setbacks that you learned from them in, in, and made you want to go further instead of giving up? Because you mentioned, you know, those people who give up earlier on. Oh, yeah, that in terms of uh, the biggest thing in my life to make it simple is, when I was age 11, I tried to commit suicide. I momentarily died. And then when I heard the voice of God, however, you know, people want to describe it, I heard the voice of God. It told me my time was not done from that point. That moment changed my life. And from that perspective, from then, anything that I did, you know, I, I, I stayed with it because I knew I had a purpose. So really mm-hmm. it was a purpose-driven life from that point. So I had an optimistic perspective. When you hit the ground that hard, you know, you can't look anywhere but up and see the, optim- the optimism and see the good behind it. So that formulated my mind to where I always look at positive regardless. Yes, I get frustrated <laughs> like everybody else, but at that same point of time, I always can see the good behind it, and that's what I thank God for. Man, that's uh, that's quite remarkable, um, especially to go through an experience like that at 11. Um, you know, there, obviously there's a backstory behind that. We don't need to know that, but but to have turned it positive at that young an age and to understand you know, the gestalt of this, this is not your time to go and that there is so much more ahead of you that you really can't check out at this point. Um, that's pretty significant for an 11-year-old. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, but that's, that's what makes you, you know, is when you're able to, all of our roots and everything starts when we're young. You know, that's when we're trained. That's when the fertile ground of our souls are, we're able to absorb. And then they become, right. those seeds become, now roots that dig deeper in our water from that point. So it depends on your environment, how you were raised, who you were around from that point. And I was blessed to be around, you know, dynamic people. That's another facet. 
you know, your environment. I was blessed to be around that to where I was able to take that in and shield me, even amongst all the uh-huh. other bad elements that were around. So like you were saying early on, I learned from my mistakes and I learned how not to react in my yeah. – well, let me take this back. I had reacted to my mistakes and I had mercy on my life, but from that mercy, I learned the flip side and say, you know what, if I'm provided mercy, I need to give mercy. And if I understand that if I'm provided mercy – let me take a step back. Let me control myself. I got into martial arts when I was younger, which that really, really helped to d- direct and guide my emotional output, which ultimately that, that allowed me to really – yes, there you go. Now you're getting – what you're saying now, you get into the seven lessons. We described on this call about three of them already. Hey, I don't, I don't have a problem with that um, at all because, <laughs> you know – no, no, let me tell you why. Different people respond differently to, to different situations. And, and the best that you could say about somebody is they had, let's say they had a bad experience, but they learned from it and they turned it into something positive. And again, that goes back to how we're taught to deal with life around us. You know, as, as a young child on up through, especially during, you know, turbulent teens when you have so many changes that are happening to you, you know, that, that sometimes it's hard to to be able to guide yourself. Um, let me ask you, how? what kind of support team, well, first of all, where did you grow up, by the way, Lonnie? Flint, Michigan. Um, a Flint stone to the bone. Flint, Michigan. Okay. Um, and then uh, did you, did you, I mean, were you, how long were you there? Were you there through your elementary years. school time? 24, 24 years? years. Okay. 23 years. All right. So, so you've got, you basically grew up in Flint. Flint is a little more turbulent than people would know. I mean, the only thing people know about Flint now is that, you know, some stupid-ass Republican guy trying to save $100 a month um, has, has irrevocably damaged people through lead poisoning, you know? Um, it's very sad. I, I apologize for bringing the politics in it, but here's the thing. Penny wise, pound foolish. You know, there, there's yeah. no excuse for, for what happened there. And, and a certain political party has attempted to denature the EPA for about 30 years. And so people were not warned in time. And, and I, I despair of the kids who are, you know, who have had, you know, lead-tainted water going through them uh, at such an early age because the brains are fractured. So, I mean, when you talk about you know, you growing up in that area, it was it was at least during a less toxic time. I mean, other than I, you know, it's still to try to take yourself out at eleven. You know, I'm I'm wondering once you got past that, what kind of environment were you in? How nurturing was it? How supportive was it for you? Well, it was an environment. I always say I have brothers and sisters, and when I say that, not blood. You know, we I right. just have that bond. Sure. Like, you know, Jason is a brother to me. That's why he's an extension of me. I'm an extension of him. And that's I was I was placed around people who had that understanding and that love. And then I had solid godmothers and godfathers. And in my own family, you know, in terms of my mother and father, after they went through certain things, I was I was placed around people who shown unity, people who were stable in terms of within their emotions that were able to guide and direct me. That's part of the mm-hmm. mentorship. So I was put around okay. that environment. But another key thing that helped me is sports. I played sports. 
I was in the music. That's why I'm so passionate about those things. Those things propelled and kept me. And when I look at sports, just like I look at um, arts, I look at basketball, play basketball, soccer, and football. When I look at those, I don't see the physical element. I see life. I see working with five guys or four of the guys on the basketball court saying, play your roles. If you play your roles, we're going for the bigger, we're going for the championship. If we play our roles, we'll win because now I'm strong here, I'm strong here, we're going to sacrifice. Another one of the seven lessons. We'll sacrifice for the betterment of the team. We'll be disciplined from that point. When I look at football, 11 guys, 10 other guys, hey, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to work. I look at life, I don't see in terms of, oh, I've got to get mines. Never did. So that's what kept me. So, when, you know, from when I was young, being put around that environment, you know, when I got into sports, that was like therapeutic. When I got into the arts, it was therapeutic. So that was the culmination or the foundation building right there. Sure. And that's and, the environment and, I was placed in. Yeah, and then how, how, how soon or long after, you know, your Flint experience and maybe you moved away, um, did, you, did you get to the point where you were putting together the Empire, um in, you know, transmedia endeavor? Well, that was, <laughs> ooh, I was 23. I didn't start right. that until I'm 37 now, so I didn't really start that until I would say I was 32. Uh-huh. So about seven years or nine years more so after. And uh, let, me, let me ask this. Did you have the inklings of being a, a content creator like that earlier, or was this something that came to you, you know, in your 30s? Um, because my example, you know, I, I wrote a trilogy of books, <clears throat> excuse me, starting in 2001 and had never done anything like that before. So I didn't have an inkling that I was ever going to be a writer. You know, it, it wasn't something as I was coming up that I thought I would ever be. In, in your case, you know, did you have that in you or did you come by it as an expression of, of, you know, who you were going to be and what you were going to create from a business perspective. It was always in me. Um, that's one of the things that just took the right environment to nurture it and bring it out. Um, it was always in me from that point. Ever since I was born, you know, I was always the energetic, uh, creative one from that point. So it was always uh-huh. there. It just needed to be directed. It had a lot of energy, um, and it just needed to be guided. So to answer your question, it was always in me. Okay. Jason, what about you? You know, um, Ilani has talked about you being a writer almost forever. Um, Was this something that you developed an interest in really early, you know, like uh, elementary school, high school, whatever? And and if it did, how did it manifest itself? You know, were were you doing stories based upon things that you had seen, or did you have this whole thing in your head where you could just put your own output out there, your own creativity out there that nobody else had ever seen before? Well, um, that's the same thing with, with, as with uh, Lonnie. I mean, I've always been, I, I, I say I've always been a storyteller. Okay. Uh, regardless, I can, I can recall very clearly um, in second grade when they taught us how to write a book, like not only how to write a book, but, they also gave us like binding, and I remember sewing together a book that I, a picture book that I had made in second grade, and so that experience really changed my life. And then um, I am uh, 41, so I'm an old school gamer. You know, you, you ask me what my favorite console is, I'll tell you tabletop. 
Um, <laughs> okay. As far as gaming is concerned, um, and I started doing that at 12, and being a player, uh, then uh, going on to do uh, to to dungeon master or, or game master as it was, running games and then writing stories for other players, and then eventually moving into what's called LARPing, which is uh, live action role playing. So it's more of a, a theatrical aspect of it. Uh, and then, I mean, that naturally led to me getting a degree in, in uh, a BFA, uh, BFA in theater arts um, later on. But it's I've always been a storyteller regardless of what it is. And it for me, it's always been about um, characters and, and this creating this world where people can have an experience and, and be able to discuss the things um, and do things that, you know, and that's that's kind of what it's about. That's what attracts people is, you know, characters being able to do things that maybe they can't do in their lives or they don't have the courage to do in their lives. But, yeah, to answer the question, same as Lonnie, it's always been in me. Yeah, and, and just so people know, Lonnie had to go and uh, he has to do the setup for the uh, the event this weekend, so we're going to continue on with Jason here. And And so how did the two of you meet? Um, so here in Atlanta we have a set of events called Get Connected um, and I can't remember who who runs them but it's basically like a monthly event and I actually um, I graduated from Howard in in, uh, 06 and I went directly out to Los Angeles to to try to be a writer Uh, and so I spent six years trying to uh, working in development helping people punch up their scripts I actually I didn't know how to write for television and film because uh, my, my degree was in theater. Uh, but I taught myself how to write for television and film when I um, spent time in Los Angeles. I'm kind of a, I'm a, a book nerd, as it were. I, like, I actually like books and the feel of them. Um, but so with that, I started helping in development and learning about the business, and I kind of got tired of, helping people develop things. I would develop TV series, pilots, show Bibles, that kind of thing. Um, so I had an opportunity to come to Atlanta and uh, had been to a couple of workshops, and one of them, Kyle Bentley Evans, helped me figure out that I didn't need to be in Los Angeles to do what I, I wanted to do. So uh, I moved in 2012 to Atlanta, and I met Lonnie at a, a Get Connected event and he was showing you Pyrie at that point. And, of course, as an old-school gamer um, with a – I don't know if people would remember Vampire the Masquerade, the whole White Wolf system, uh, but I immediately saw these characters that um, there was – they were more mm, – how do I say – multicultural. The cast sure. wasn't just – uh, a majority of of Caucasian characters with one ethnic person thrown in the mix. Um, even even the quote unquote Caucasian characters were from different parts of the world, mm-hmm, so they all mm-hmm. had their own backgrounds and histories. And so, coupling that with the the presentation that he he had done, I was like, man, I know vampires. I understand world building. Um, and I was looking for an opportunity to prove myself as a writer, and sure. they had 
had a web series, already had two episodes. So I immediately engaged him and was pretty much on him uh, for <laughs> two months. And uh, then I became a part of the writing team at the beginning of 2013. I was a, a staff writer for the web series. That's not, I mean, that's not a bad story. Um, and and let me ask you about how the, um, when you were out in L.A., um, was, was it, and, and I understand the experience of doing a lot of things for other people, and then, you know, you don't necessarily get your own recognition except as a mechanic. You know what I mean? Um, fixing things for other people. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, Los Angeles is very, there's Los Angeles and then there's Hollywood. Right. And I didn't quite break, well, I wasn't quite able to break into Hollywood. And there were, there were a number of factors that went into that. Um, but the main thing for me that I found out that Los Angeles didn't work is as far as a writer is being concerned, the stories that I wanted to write, um, they weren't interested in probably, well, not probably. It kind of go, it goes back to what you were saying earlier when you're discussing the business model and how Upyre mm-hmm. is different. And that's part of the reason why Upyre is different from, from our standpoint, the, the seven, um, the, the core team, is that we didn't want it to just be about business. Um, right. For me personally, stories have to engage me and connect with me. It doesn't have to be deep, but there does have, there does have to be a, a, some kind of lesson learned and some kind of journey that's traveled um, for the characters, not just the protagonist, but also for me I find um, the antagonist is important for him to also, he or she to also have a journey that they're traveling, a place that they're, they're, they have to get to. Um, and it, that just wasn't the case in, in Los Angeles. I found myself doctoring scripts. I found myself building interest, these, trying to build these interesting characters um, and these interesting series that could explore these different things. And for the most part, um, for the reasons of funding, they simply – you hear people talk about development hell mm-hmm. in Hollywood – yeah, they would they would basically I I do this work and I would be getting credit for the work, but it would sit on somebody's table waiting for or somebody's desk waiting for money. So right. after I spent about three years doing that, uh, my best friend uh, from Ghana actually uh, he asked me if I wanted to go and I'd never been to Africa before, and I took I took the chance and went and had a life-altering experience. And so when I got back from Ghana, uh, I decided that, you know what, if, if there's going to be work that's sitting on somebody's desk after I finish with it, it's going to mm-hmm. be my work. I'm going to tell the kind of stories that I want to tell. I'm going to create the kind of characters. Um, and for me, the stories, that, the stories that I started were geared towards people who were in their teens at-risk teens, people who are dealing with anger issues, all the stuff that you talked about. I actually wrote a television series. I started off as a movie, and then I was able to um, write it into a television series. And in order to do that, I had to develop the world. And that's when I came up with my process for world creation. Okay. Um, 
a process that's actually um, not based on the character solely, but their, the connection to the different communities that they're a part of and what their responsibilities to those communities are. That's how that's, I develop those stories. Yeah, and, and, and okay, so I can, you know, uh, somebody in the chat room would, wants to know, you know, what was the life-altering story behind your trip overseas? Well, um, if you don't mind sharing it with us, no, I don't. I it's it was, it's a lifelong thing. I um I moved around a lot as a child, uh, because we were when we were young, we were I was homeless, kind of a, in a homeless type of situation, a broken home type of situation where we had to to move with friends from place to place, and so between since I could remember as a kid until about nine or ten we were living with people. Me, my sister, and my mom were staying with people um, because we couldn't have our own place. Uh, and so I got used to moving around. I got used to not really connecting with anyone uh, because we were always always moving and made it difficult for me to really make friends or connect to people. Um, and so my relationship to men and women were were very difficult. Like I still, it's something that I'm still working on as an adult. Uh, but when I went to Ghana, and I, I've lived in many different places in the United States, uh, I went to Ghana when I was uh, maybe, it was back in 2008. But okay. when I stepped off the plane in Ghana, it was the first time that I ever felt at home like a, a sense of serene calm and connectedness mm -hmm. to everything. And that was the life-changing experience. And um, I, I encourage every, everybody, but especially uh, those persons of, of color, you know, especially uh, those persons who are, are descendants of Africans, to go to Africa and, and to experience it for yourself. Don't just... Uh, take what you see on the news and in the media at face value. Um, sure. Because I really, I was there for three weeks, and on the night, the night before it was time for me to come home, I actually cried like a baby because I didn't want to leave. Right. And when I, when I got back, I was mad for six months <laughs> because I, I realized that there was a, a different way of living life. Sure. It was not like punching a clock constantly yeah um and, and now i didn't have access to that anymore so that was a life-changing experience yeah i i don't laugh for anything funny but there are so many people who have said the same thing about going over there richard Pryor famously said you know going to africa was a transformative experience for him you know and um as i think about it you know, it, the the movies of the 60s, 70s, whatever, about the whites, whites going to Africa, things like that, having some sort of experience, blah, blah, blah. But but for us, there's a, there's a component to the experience that mainstream Americans don't have or normally don't have. Um, and, and so now you, you know, this, this transformative experience you've had suggests how you deal with the world today is that fair to say? Yes. Um, 
very much in the way of I have an international I don't I don't even have really words to ex- describe it but whenever I encounter an individual I find myself fascinated with who they are and how they came to be mhm um and that's I think that curiosity was always there but I didn't have the language for it and I didn't have the experience to to explore it without being um intrusive um, cuz I was quite an inquisitive child and I would simply ask a question um and sometimes it would be considered rude and other times uh it would get a laugh but uh I really and we've and that's the, the also the kind of model that we've built for the Upiri universe. It was very important to us uh, to not just take an approach, even though we, we use uh, kind of a Judeo-Christian, um, n- not a lens, but kind of a, a, a covering, a reference for the sure. audience. Um, everyone should understand that the history of Upiri spans the planet. So depending on what volume the omnibus you're in, what time period it is, um, we have seven characters, seven antagonists, seven protagonists in each of the seven volumes throughout history that are kind of the major movers and shakers. And you won't you won't meet any of them actually in the, the comic book um, because the comic book is, is present day. But they are responsible, those characters are responsible for the the overplot that happens in the in the omnibus. And so those characters in the comic books, the certain circumstances that they find themselves in, our audience will later on, depending on what stories uh, come out, come forth in the transmedia um, profile, you'll begin to see how those things, one thing affects the other um, later on, which is, is part of the whole transmedia thing. But the, the idea is that each volume takes place on a different place um, on Earth. So we have actions that take place in South America, in India, in, in Africa, um, in, in, the, in the Antarctic. Um, we explore all of those things so that we really have an international cast of characters that can be pulled from so that if somebody wants to tell a story of, um, for instance, something that I discovered going back to the Bible, uh, the, the Apostle Thomas, Doubting Thomas, uh, he actually established a church in India. Now, that's not something that's really talked about in, 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 um, in church, at least when I was growing up, because I grew up Baptist. But I didn't know that, that when he, after Christ's death, he went and established a church in India, we are now poised that if we bring a writer in to tell that story, they can tell it. The omnibus sets that up for them sure. to be able to tell a singular story about that. Yeah, I've, I've just, uh, in the last year, <clears throat> excuse me, I've written two short, no, I take it all back. L- last year and a half, I've written three short stories in other people's universes, which was an interesting experience for me. Because, you know, I, I really had to pay attention and not line by line as I was writing, but I, I would read someone's omnibus, as you call it, <laughs> excuse me, about their creative universe, find out 
you know, who the major players were, what were the motivations of the people, what had, what would suggest, you know, a good storyline. And, and I enjoy trying to write a story that fits into somebody else's universe, even though I have my own, um, uh, my own universe that I'm, you know, I've got a trilogy based in one, in, in a universe and I'm doing another trilogy based in that same universe. But, but being able to take a look at what someone else has done creatively and then seeing if you can write up to those standards, I think is a fun thing to do. Um, when, when most of the people who, you know, you bring in to write, take a look at that, what, what's their usual reaction when they see what kind of um, <laughs> universe that you put together? Well, we've, we've had to learn um, to give them only so much of it. When we first started, we tried to give them all of the information. Their their heads kind of exploded because they were so like I I the omnibus starts literally with the formation of the trilogy, with with the formation of the trinity, um, and the decision for them to get together to create this universe. So it starts from there and then moves forward into present time. Um, so it is really a lot of information. And so when we, when we did that and we did it with our first set of writers, we said, okay, it's too much information. We have to scale, them, scale it back and give them what's necessary and then kind of, kind of guide them um, with it. So, but the reaction is always, you know, their mind is blown because there's so much information and they enjoy the, the stories that they've seen, but it makes it kind of difficult to pick, it's almost like too many options. If that makes I mean, sense. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you've put together such a comprehensive um, guide that, for you know, it <clears throat> that can be daunting to another writer. You know, another writer yeah. always looks. You know, when they start doing that, you know, the first thing they 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 tend to do creatively is tiptoe around to see if what they're doing fits. And, and, you know, from what you and Lonnie have said, you know, you, you are very obliging in terms of supporting the people who come in to help you. So, yeah, I could see how it would be daunting, but, I mean, the, the, the team you put together, have they fit in well to, to, your, to your way of thinking? Yes. And I would say the, the key thing is that it's always, it's, 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 it's always a give and take. Um, I've created, and these are lessons that I have to learn as, as, as a, as a writer as well and learning to collaborate because collaboration is not, is not easy. Um, letting somebody look at something that you've written as an artist, I know, you know, um, Uh and there's a lot of artists out there who, who write, who write for themselves or create for themselves. They don't want anybody else looking at it or quote unquote critiquing it. Um, because they have a hard time taking criticism. But honestly, um, there were things that I didn't see that other people saw and stories, and and that was the reason why we let them look at the characters and look at the information and pitch a story to us, what excited them about the character and kind of what they wanted to see. And so it it, it really is a kind of, not kind of, it is. It takes a village philosophy. And mm-hmm. so I, 
I, as the transmedia producer and, and the head of development, I can't, I don't say no. I had to learn how to not say no. There are things that, that are unwritten, and, of course, that leaves the creativity open to where sure. I think about this and I go, well, maybe I didn't see it that way, but the question is, does it make for a good story, and does it interrupt the continuity of the Upari universe? So those are the two questions that I ask myself, and when I look at, the, look at it through that lens, it becomes more open, the universe opens up. And we're able to tell, I mean, even though it's vampires, we're able to tell love stories. We're able to tell stories about friendships. We're able to do comedy stuff, stuff that's right. funny. I mean, we can still do horror because, as we said, it's about people. It's about characters um, and, and how they interact and how people interact, and being right. as honest as possible. So it, it's, it's been a wonderful experience, and I, I've grown with it. Every new writer that we, we come in, and people, I mean, you're always a fan of your work, but when you write something and somebody else takes it and they make it bigger, they bring, it, they bring more life to it in ways that you did not expect, that you, that you didn't intend, not in a bad way, but in a, in a good way. They made this character really live and breathe for this one story, you know, one story in this universe of hundreds of thousands of possible characters. It, 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 really, it, it really is fulfilling. Okay. <clears throat> and, okay, now let's, let's look toward the future because you're kind of at the ground floor of where you are now. Um, and and the, the brilliance of, of creating a transmedia communications company with your creative universe is brilliant. It's just brilliant. You know, I had someone offer me $450,000 a year to do some advertising because I understood transmedia better than most people. And when we look ahead, for your in your business model, you know you've got the you've got the 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 and the three anthologies now. What's the next step for digital output? Are you looking in terms of a web series? Are you looking in terms of um, a motion comic? Or you know, I, I I heard Lonnie say something about a graphic graphic novel. Did he mention that? Yes. Um, yeah, he so, did. So, so what's your what's is, your next? Yeah, what's your next progression? What's the next step? Well, Upyre itself is a literary company, so um, we have another we have another anthology that's coming out um, in February that Lonnie said um, he said that earlier. So the second anthology that's the kind of the continuation of the story of of who these three characters are. Um, and then we also uh, have on our, our drawing board for late next year an animated series that will introduce new characters in the entire universe, and you'll see how they're connected to the ones in the, con in the comic book. So it's an animated anthology. Um, we do have plans, you know, partner. I would say partnerships that we have a, 
essentially a five to seven year plan where as a business model we're looking to do better and broaden the Upiri brand and connect more with the audience to see what the audience is interested in and to also build uh, what, what we call, you know, um, build those, those partnerships. So yeah. we're looking right now um, for people who want to do television series, people who want to do films, but, but in the next two years, we don't have that as like a, a goal on our, our board. If it comes along, then of course, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Um, but it is part of our five-year plan to expand. But right now, 2017, what 2017 holds for us is the, the uh, anthology number two and the, um, the animated anthology. And do you have you picked up your your animators and your you know uh, your yeah have are you at the point now where you're auditioning or looking for those kinds of professionals to join your team or is that later later on down the line? I believe that that would be later on down the line. Um, I would say though that we are constantly looking for good people. Um, and I would definitely, like, get in contact with us. Uh, we, we're, we're on uh, social – we're all over social media. Um, but definitely a lot of the relationships uh, that we, we develop are, are fairly new. And so we look for the opportunities that are there. So if, if you are if – if the animated series is something that you may be interested in as an artist or as a writer or – if you're interested in the doing a comic book as well from that end, or if you're interested in, in doing a web series, you're a director, uh, we're, we're constantly looking to build those um, partnerships with people. So just, 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 reach, out, just reach out to us. But as, as far as right now, um, we're still in the, the planning phases of pre – we're in – development still for the animated series and sure. that's the reason why it won't be released until late uh, next year. Those people who have, who have done animation before kind of have an idea of that, that sort of process, what it takes, kind of how right. much time it takes. So um, if you're interested, I would say start, I guess, start getting in contact with us now. That's great. And and obviously, since you take a team approach, you know, if people fit in and, and understand what you're doing, they have, they have an opportunity to be getting in fairly early on in the, um, in the process. Yes. It, it, everything is, <clears throat> and, and this is so important, and I think, you know, you were talking about how we have certain challenges, especially as a, as a community of people, um, particularly people of color, particularly um, those termed African-American um, or black folks. We have a hard time working together because we feel like I have to protect my intellectual property per se. And I'm not just talking oh, yeah. about like writing, but I also mean my experiences. As a person, I need to be able to be the, the focal point and the center to where everybody comes 
to me for the answers. And I can tell you that if any of us in the Core 7 had that ideology, Upyre would have fallen apart long ago. If this, is, this is not in any business, not, not just Upyre, but no business can survive for long with the brain, the brain what, I, what I call the brain trust, uh, when the brain trust is, is left up to a few core individuals. Uh, because, especially because it's entertainment um, for the most part, um, and that's the kind of business, um, I'm, I'm talking about how the, the business is labeled and marketed. Um, sure. You constantly need to bring, bring in fresh young people who can be passionate about it and who know how to communicate with the audience that you're trying to reach. Sure. When you, when you look at Star Trek, when you look at um, Harry Potter, when you look at Star Wars, you know, those properties are driven by young people. People who, of course, were young at the time and remained passionate throughout their lifetime, but also people who were young and then passed that passion on to their children, to their grandchildren. That's how companies stay in, in business for generations. And so the only way to do that is to reach it, not only reach out to your audience, but to embrace young people in a corporate setting and, and listen to the feedback that you're getting from them. It's so important. Um, what about location? Do you work with people who are not in the Atlanta area? Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. Um, when, I, when I say that the company has an interna international perspective and an international business model, we mean just that. Um, we, have, we do have illustrators that are here in Atlanta, but we also have um, illustrators from Korea. Um, we had uh, writers from Iceland. Um, mm -hmm. And from France, uh, we we really take an international standpoint, and, and, and we embrace everything um, and everyone because good stories are not just told here in the states. And as a as a business model, especially if if you want to look at, for instance, Hollywood, um, you'll notice that films now unless you can sell them internationally, unless it's a story that people can, um, can connect to on an international level, they really don't, they're really not interested in it. Big budget films, they don't have to really be successful here in the States, but they have to be successful internationally. Right. You want to, you want to get that foreign distribution because oftentimes foreign distribution is what reimburses you for the cost of making, you know, especially these big blockbuster type movies. Exactly. Um, so you uh, may get okay. somebody who doesn't act very well, like in, for instance, in Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I, and that's no shade toward him. He he has he's an excellent businessman, and he has a name that allows him to to get funding for his movies, small films, without Hollywood, just based on the fact that he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that you can sell that anywhere on the planet. That's true. But those are the things that, from a business standpoint, we have to be interested in. I was, I was one, personally, who 
You know, Lonnie talks about the stuff that I've taught him about story, but he taught me a lot about business because if you can't do this for a living, then you're stuck working a job that you hate just for the, 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 the idea of, of, of your art. And while that may sustain you in your 20s and early 30s, I can tell you from experience that in your 40s, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't drive the engine very well. It's very, it mm-hmm. becomes very difficult to do and tedious. So that's something that I wish I would have had a mentor that could have reached me concerning it in, in my 20s. Uh, so that things will be different. But, you know, you learn things when you, you are supposed to learn them and then action them uh, when when you need to. That's my belief anyway. I, 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 find, I can't find anything to argue with there. Um, in, so in, in putting this together in the last few years, um, tell the people what was the most significant thing that you learned about putting together um, an effective team like this? Because it doesn't, it doesn't just happen by magic, or let's put it this way. It happens so seldom by magic that it's almost, you know, you can't, you can't even describe it, you know? I don't think that it happens by magic at all, being a part of it. I think right. that it's, it's very much um, people think that it happens by magic, because they're not watching you in your daily life and your daily grind. Very few people are. And so all of a sudden, you know, you become famous and you get on people's radar. But it's, it's just like, you know, what you were saying with the, the true Hollywood stories and, and um, the H1 behind know, the music. Yeah, behind the music. It's years and years of work. But I would say that the, the biggest thing that I've learned is how to agree to disagree in peace, which is uh, the, part of the, the discipline of it. Um, decisions have to be made in business. You can't sit and all the time. You, you do plan things out, but you can't be methodical and slow to move all the time. There are sometimes there are opportunities that come and you have to, to weigh it. You have to look at it and say, this is an opportunity that we need to take advantage of. And at that mm-hmm. point, you need to be able to move quickly. And when you have seven people who have seven distinct life experiences um, and have seven different viewpoints, you're, obviously you're not all going to agree. And even if you do agree on a course of action, you're not going to agree for the same reasons. So you have to be able to, if you get outvoted, you have to be able to accept it and then work within the spirit of the, of the agreement. And um, there have been plenty of times, um, because Lonnie has more experience in business than I do, where I, I get, we get, well, I get upset because I'm, I'm, he's an artist, but I'm an artist, but he's a lot cooler than I am, I think. I become very, <laughs> very passionate and very like, you know, my 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 the pitch of my voice goes up and the octaves and I'm all about protecting the continuity and protecting the story and how could you make that kind of decision and okay, and Lonnie's very good with with dealing with that and and calming me down, but 
there have been times where, you know, I, I don't really agree with this, but then it comes down to do I trust Lonnie or not? Is he doing this right. out of selfishness or is he doing this because he's trying to make us successful? Sure. And at that point, it's like, well, he's doing this because he's trying to make us successful and I trust him. So then we move, you move in trust. Right. And that's what, in business, that's what you have to do. You kind of have to move. If you, you think about the character of the person that you're with, that's one of the things, too, is that I don't do business with people. I don't associate people with people who whose character, um, they make me question. Sure. So, and that's that's how we all move. So when when it, when you make it that simple, do I trust him or not? If the answer is yes, then okay, I'm going to move with this, even though he may be wrong. I'm going to go ahead and do this, and I'm going to move in the spirit of what we've agreed on. Um, because if I don't trust him, then I shouldn't be in business with him. And at that point, it's time for me to go. And, yeah, that and that's true. something that I I would say to to everybody um, that's listening. You know, if if you're regardless of how much money you're making and, you know, whatever it is that's being provided, if you can't trust the people that you're working with, it really is not worth it. Yeah, I I think that everybody at some point is going to, you know, realize that there's going to be friction between any two people because, of course, none of us are all the same and none of us see things exactly the same as, as everyone else. Um, and and that's a good a good lesson to learn. Um, the hardest part that I've seen for creatives is understanding when somebody disagrees with them or disagrees with a product they put out. It's not an invalidation of self. It's just a difference of opinion. Exactly. And 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 sometimes people take it so to heart that it's hard to realize that. Well, you know, here is the love of my life. This is the labor, you know, a labor of love. This is what I've been working on for X amount of time. Excuse me. And when so-and-so says they don't like it, um, they they must not like me. And that's usually not the case. Hopefully it's usually not the case. Um, I, I remember the first time I got a one-star review on Amazon. And and I, I wasn't so much like, oh, you know, I'm a failure. I was angry. It's like, how dare you not see the value <laughs> of what I did? How stupid are right. you that you didn't realize the brilliance of what I, you know. But, but again, you know, even, even that, it's a matter of taste. You know, people, some people like stuff. Some people don't like the exact same thing. All right, so that's the good part. What is the worst thing, the worst thing that you've had to deal with, um, you know, having to work in a team? Is it that part where you said, well, I've got to, when, when I'm outvoted, I have to go along with it? Or was there something else that might have reached that same level of um, <clears throat> education and realization? Um, I wouldn't say being outvoted, because being outvoted is not... Um, I, I just use that as thing. an example. Yeah, I just no, use yeah, that as an yeah. example. Um, I just... I don't know if there is a, a, a worse part per se because I'm so used to looking at at, at setback, well, what would be considered setbacks or challenges as opportunities. Okay. But okay. it really is difficult 
to plan something for five months and then execute it and then have to take a step back because it's not working. Sure. That's, that's really, really frustrating um, because you take so much time to look at all the permutations and you think, you know, it's a plan and, and, and cerebrally you understand that it's a plan, but it's also that, that thing that you were talking about where you, you also put your heart and your energy into it. And so it, it feels, if it fails, it feels like you've failed and you kind of take, take that blow personally. But I've, I've learned, and, and it kind of helps uh, for me personally in, in the group, because uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of pitching as far as large arcs are concerned. So I'm constantly okay. in, front of, in front of the fire, firing squad for my ideas for stories in large arcs. And so I have to take a lot of feedback and then come back and, and pitch again. So I've developed a, a, a thick skin as far as that is concerned and um, trying to, you know, trying to reach different people, trying to way, find a way of, I, uh, I was trying to convey this idea, but it didn't quite come across, so let me revisit it. But it, the, the, what would be termed, I guess, failures after months of planning, that's, that's really hard and can take an, an emotional toll. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, tomorrow you've got this rollout. Uh, is this in the context of a bigger convention, or is this an event that you guys are putting together by yourself? This is an event that we're putting – well, we're not putting it together by ourselves. Uh, it's actually sponsored by Indie Film Loop. Okay. Um, which is an organization of filmmakers. And so it's, it's one of those strategic partnerships that Lonnie talks about. Um, they're actually helping us uh, sponsor and, 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 and put this event together. So it's, it's really a collaboration. So it's not only an event for the comic book, but it's also with the people that will be coming, it'll it'll be kind of a networking thing. So you'll be able to meet um, writers and and filmmakers and that kind of thing. Um, Even though the the focus is Upiri, um, we really wanted it to be a a gathering of not not just fans or potential fans, audience members, but but everyone, a gathering of, of artists. Uh, coming together to celebrate art, essentially this 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 business, this relaunch, if you will. Um, yeah. But I'm sorry. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. No, I, I you know I okay. was curious. Was this it, what it sounds like is kind of a, a creative networking event on steroids? Yes. With with the art as the focus. Um, yeah. There's yeah. there's going to be music. A DJ will have uh, booths, rooms. It's kind of set up like kind of like a haunted house type right. of scenario. Um, there'll there'll be games. There'll be food. Uh, there'll be places where you'll be able to talk. You'll be able to interact directly with me uh, and the create members of the creative team as well. So you'll be able to ask us specific questions, or if you want to take pictures with us. Um, I'm, I'm a little new to this whole, this, this side of it. I'm used to being a writer and kind of in the background of it, but, um, this is, so this is a new experience for me as well. And I'm very excited about it, but are you, I, sorry, go ahead. Are you, are you photogenic? 
You're not going to scare children and animals? No, I'm not going to scare children and animals. I, okay, I good. No, that's a good thing. I, I have been known <laughs> to smile on occasion. So. <laughs> and, and, and how are you as a creative? And, and it sounds like you're probably a little more reserved, maybe a little more shy. It, is, is this transition to being like a front person, because you, you naturally have to, because you have to proselytize for your own product, um, is this a hard transition for you, or are you just working it through and, and getting used to it? I am, I am working it through. Um, this, is my, this is my first interview, like the first time I've been interviewed. So I hope that I'm doing well. I hope I hope that I am I'm representing the brand well. Yeah, we're, we're you know that's the thing, you know, um, I think what makes it and not to blow my own horn, but I think what makes this an easy show to do is all I want to do is talk to somebody and find out about them. You know, it's yeah. not like you have to come up with high concept or, you know, what's what's the bleeding edge concept of what you're trying to put out there for the next. You know, it's basically what what are you guys trying to do, and where's the where's the connectivity to other creatives, people who are listening, and things like that. So, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even worry about it. You're doing fine, man. I'm sitting here looking at the uh, the menu, trying to figure out what I'm going to order after the show is done because it's so easy. <laughs> and I know that sounds no, I know that sounds terrible, but it's not terrible. But you, but you see what I'm trying to say, though. Um, yes. I, my advice to you is if somebody interviews you, just consider it. You're, you're just talking to somebody you never met before. That's all. Um, there's not that many people, I think, who are going to try to do that got you interview, like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a political interview, you know, where the, the, the interviewer is trying to get a politician to say something stupid. Right. Um, essentially, I think that, you know, for BlackScienceFictionSociety.com and this radio show, one of the things that we want to do is we want to showcase talent so other people know that others like them are doing similar things. And then maybe you'll say something about, man, that was such a pain in the ass, this thing, and somebody's going to go, you know, later on go, oh, wait a minute, you know, uh, Jason said, I remember Jason saying X, Y, Z, and it helps because I think Excuse me. We're we're all content creators, um, or at least a lot of us are. All right. So so what are we trying to convey? We're trying to convey what it takes to rise above the background noise and hopefully get that notice that will get people to to take a look at you, because there there are thousands of people writing comic books. There are. Thousands of people, probably, you know, I don't know, millions of them, anyway, of people who are writing books, who are writing short stories, who are creating, who are animating, you know, who are doing um, webisodes. There are so many people creating content out there. I think that the one universal constant and the one universal challenge for all of us is trying to find a way, you know, to have lightning hit so that somehow explosively people discover us. And if we're good enough, if we've created well enough, if we apply our craft well enough, people are going to pay attention. So, you know, that's, that's when I get interviewed, that's the thing. You know, if I get interviewed on TV or on the radio, I, I rarely have 12 minutes, rarely. 
you know, six to eight minutes, maybe 10 minutes is about average, right around in there. So to have the opportunity to be able to talk about your work, what it means to you, who you are for a couple of hours, I think does service to trying to get what you do out there. So, you know, as far as you worrying about how you're doing, I think you're doing fine. You know, I haven't seen anybody make fun of you in the chat room, so, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, believe me, they do. I had one crazy ass, well, anyway. So, when you know, it's good that I think the best thing that people can take away from this interview is that you all had a bigger plan. You had a plan that had legs. You had a plan that was bigger than just doing some comic books and that you are actively putting together a team to execute that plan. That's a huge thing. And and for people who don't understand what transmedia is, look it up. Take a look at the, the current definitions for it. But essentially what it boils down to is creating content that is distributable in in multi multiple types of digital distribution. So it's not just a comic. It's not just a short story. It's not just a a graphic comic. It's a web series. It's a, a 3D animation. It's a commercial. Because even commercials can tell a, a huge story. Look at what Budweiser did with those damn frogs. Right. You know what I mean? That had, yeah. that had a, a creative life of its own and was basically selling a product. So if you catch fire like that, normally it's not like lightning, like with Fifty Shades of Grey and that piece of crap writing. What it is is it's good planning from the from the get-go. And so you guys have decided exactly how you're going to present your stuff. You're going to present it in as many ways as possible with as many variations as possible. And, and that, makes, that just makes sense. And I think you can learn from that. The other aspect of transmedia production is also that it's it's interactive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're not just essentially feeding the audience or feeding their appetite um, for content. You're also looking uh, and being strategic about the responses that you're getting. And you are... Um, kind of tweaking your plans for the interactions and, and where, where things are going. You're looking to meet your audience. It's not about going to your audience per se, as it is about drawing your audience out and meeting them halfway. Sure. So that it becomes an interactive universe, really, and, and touching them on all different that, – that didn't come out right um, – interacting <laughs> with them on all different kinds of levels. <laughs> on different kinds of levels, but no, touching them, you know, if, okay, visually, um, maybe maybe you have some music involved. I mean, remember, all of all of this kind of production is evocative. I mean, how many people are going to remember the music they grew up with in high school? Everybody, everybody. Right. You know, I listen to hard rock tunes. I'll get in an elevator, and something from you know some crazy-ass rock band is now Muzak in an elevator, and, you know, it just makes me want to cry, you know? So, you know, but you want to have legs. You want to you want to have an enduring legacy like that, and I think that appropriate planning from the front, you know, at the very beginning is probably the best way to do that. Exactly. Uh, 
so when when you think about where you're going to be, let's say five years from now, what do you think is going to be already out, and where do you think you might be applying your efforts down the road? Um, do you mean you mean as far as Upiri is concerned? Well, no, as far as your business model, because you have you have a pretty well thought out business model. Um, you know, let's let's jump ahead five years. Where do you think that model is going to take you? Um, well, because of the the different aspects of it, like I personally, I want to move <clears throat> into education um, mm-hmm. because I, I I think that the part part of the idea of the artist, some of what we were talking about, developing the the thick, the thin skin or the thick skin, as it were. And the understanding of the fact that if somebody doesn't like something that I've created, that it's not a personal thing. Right. Um, I think that stems from the fact that there isn't the focus put on the importance of art, at least that art and artists have been devalued. Or let me say, if you cannot automatically connect your art to commerce, then it's not as valued, it's not near as valued. And I think that that's something that we need to to change, not only, well, definitely in in this country, in my opinion, um, but that's something that has to be changed with young people Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and be taught as part of a, not only a, not just a curriculum, but a a lifestyle, you know, along with teaching them conflict resolution. We need to be teaching them about art. We need to be teaching them how to express themselves concerning it. We need to be teaching them on how to not just do art, but how to, how to, how to critique it, kind of how to, how to look at it. And not only just art, but just as a, as a way of life, as a way of, of looking at things, as opposed to, you know, having tests where, you know, is it A, B, or C? Or yeah. let me tell you something and then have you spit it back to me as the answer to a test. Uh, we need to to re-engage our young people in critical thinking. I, I have, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, education is tough. First of all, it's underfunded. You know, the biggest yes. lie in America is that we have any kind of commitment to education, and we don't. We don't have any kind of commitment to education because um, – I believe in the early 80s, like 1983, especially when that movie Wall Street came out and the mantra, greed is good, kind of permeated our culture, people decided, you know, well, I'm going I'm to get some for me. They're going to be more selfish. And, and so what happens? Well, we lose art in schools. We lose physical education in schools. We lose music in schools because nobody wants to pay, you know, the, the requisite property taxes that it takes in order to sustain a school system. So that's a toughie. And, and, you know, the other thing is when you have teachers who are not being paid very well, and yet they're still, you know, they're still trying to manage to put together a decent curriculum and, and teach kids something, it's, it's a tough road to hoe. And we don't have any commitment to making our kids any better, which I think is one of the reasons why millennials are so damn cynical. You know, they look out there and they say, well, they see that there's a, a very little chance of them having as good a life 
and making as much money as their parents. And that's 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 a recent phenomenon in this country. You know, from from the eighteen the mid eighteen hundreds all the way till about nineteen eighty or you know, when they changed the tax code and stuff like that, parents were you know, or children would have a better financial lifestyle than their parents. Right. And that's been on the decline. So that's a tough every, thing. Every generation did better than the last. The previous one, correct. Yeah. And so when when we look at what's ahead, especially in terms of content creators, because sometimes it's expensive. Okay, you know, my books are on Amazon for like twenty three ninety five. That's an expensive book. Okay, I know that, but I don't have any control over it. So, you know, how I, I think to myself, well, geez, you transitioned to be an, an author right when books were becoming more expensive and less and less people were reading them. Was that a smart thing to do? You know, time will tell. Um, and, and so you're, the genius of what you're doing is you can create, you know, graphic novels of your work, but yet it's... It, it's, accessible in the anthologies. It's accessible in what you're going to do with um, animation, 3D, and each one of those digital outputs of your creativity drives people to the other digital outputs. So that that's also a good way of, you know, the circular marketing, the, the marketing of, of your products, because what they're doing is they're driving your content uh, consumers to looking at it from a different perspective. So that's that's probably a good long-term thing for people to think about. If you're doing comics, think about, you know, doing a, a motion comic. You know, think about putting out another kind of, uh, I don't know if you call it genre, uh, another digital type output so that people who maybe have a shorter attention span, they like this, or people who, who want to hold the comic in their hand, they're going to want this. So... I think people can take a lot of lessons from the way you guys have planned out your business model. Um, that's that's I I really I can't express how how brilliant I think that is. We're down to about five more Thank minutes you. in uh, in the show. Is there anything you would like to bring up or you would like to say to the audience that that's fairly important about what you do? And it doesn't you know I'm not saying oh, we're going to be showing up at blah, 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 blah. But, you know, something a little more deep deep than that, you know, what what might you want to convey to people about how you guys are going about doing what you're doing? Well, I just, I just want to encourage people, um, and we do, uh, Lonnie and I, I want to encourage people to collaborate and to do what we're doing, like, this is not a concept that we we own per se. Like how we're doing it is is how we're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But the idea of it, the idea of coming together and collaborating and looking past um, surface disagreements and putting together a plan, it's something that needs to happen all over. Um, when when we look at what's happening. Um, and hate to bring politics into it, but we, when we're looking at what what's happening on a national level in, in our politics here in, in the states, um, and you have to look at the understanding of okay, yes, you have two people who are running, and and we may not have the best confidence in them, 
but it's it's really not about them. You need to engage on a local level. You need to be mm-hmm. communicating with your neighbors and looking at who's running things on a local level and and understanding whether or not those people, uh, because they have a lot more influence over your life than really the, the president of the, of the United States does, whoever becomes president. But the idea of collaboration, the idea of getting to know your neighbor, and the, the idea of, of listening um, for the sake of simply listening is, is important. And that when, when people join hands, a lot of things can be done. There's nothing about what we're doing now that's um, – and the brilliance, is, uh, as, as you say, um, is, in, is in its – really its simplicity and the de- dedication to that idea. Mm-hmm. And so if you have an idea or someone else has an idea and you put those ideas together and you, you work together towards something, it, it, can, it can really be done. Mm-hmm. But you really have to focus on, on what, what the goal is. And, 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 and that success. That's, that's yeah. really, I, I, I really want people to, if you, if you don't take anything away from, anything else away from this uh, interview, working together with people, other people is important in order to, in order to advance yourself and into, in order to advance your community, advance your community. Mm-hmm. The other, the other thing that I would like to add to that is, you know, take that chance because there are a lot of people who are very paranoid about their intellectual property. They're so worried that someone else is going to try to steal their intellectual property. And let's be honest, there are a lot of thieves out there. There's a lot of people there out are. there who, who are, who, who are without ethics, you know? Um, so yes, you have to be careful, but don't automatically just close yourself off and say, Hey, I'm not working with anybody because they're going to steal my stuff. You know, if you've got a great idea and you've already executed it, then, then you know, you don't have anything else to worry about. You know, I, I found somebody on Amazon who named their trilogy, the Dark Side Trilogy, exactly like mine. So if somebody's looking for my work and they just put in the Dark Side Trilogy, there's a couple Dark Side Trilogies out there. You know, I didn't get mad because my stuff is good. You know, my stuff is great. Nobody had an idea like me, but I could have been scared about it and, you know, said, oh, I'm going to sue you or whatever. You know, it, sometimes you're better off just being the best you can be rather than worrying about somebody else trying to copy you. Um, exactly. So that, that paranoia, about, paranoia about intellectual property is probably a good cautionary tale, but I wouldn't let it rule me because, I mean, it, it it seems to be that that would be detracting from what you have instead of protecting you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I know. And it's it's not like you never like if that's the only good idea that you have, then I understand that. But I, I come up with several very good ideas, honestly, every day. Uh huh. And so it makes me less concerned about somebody quote unquote taking my idea. Because I know the the way that I execute things, anybody who looks at it is is gonna go, that's MJ's, that's Jason's, like because right. they, his thought process went into it. So I would just say, from that standpoint, focus on learning business. Um, if I could, if I could give any 
if there are any um, high people in high school who um, who are who are going to college, are planning to go to college, anybody in college right now, I would say get a degree in business with a minor in theater, or or when you go on to get your master's, get a master's in business. Learn right. the business. Learn how the business works. All that other stuff you can teach yourself, but learn yeah. how the business works. Because inevitably, that is what's going to help you be able to push your product. That's what's going to help you be able to explain your business plan to other people and get investors. That's what's going to help you, your vision, making sure that your vision is clear. And that, that's the thing with, with Lonnie that, um, that, that I learned the most. If, if it's all in your head and you can't articulate it and get people in, energized about it, in a, the first few moments of talking about it, right. it's going to make it very difficult for you to bring the people to you who are going to be willing to work with you just on the strength of your idea. Yeah, and and uh, we're we're out of time. But the the other okay. thing to consider is that most businesses fail because of improper planning or undercapitalization. And undercapitalization is not something that you would normally do if you had a good rounding in business. Exactly. Um, Jason, I want to thank you for being here. And then please, you know, when you when you see Lonnie, uh, convey my thanks to him for, for spending the first hour with us when he only really had a half an hour to do so. I'm, I'm very <laughs> grateful for him to do that. And and hang on after the show stops. I, I do have a question for you. But sure. uh, so every, everybody who supports us online, live, and everybody who picks this, uh, this show up, as a podcast, I want to thank you for your support. We try to bring you the best, the best in um, black creatives in science fiction, fantasy, and horror every week. Um, and uh, please tell your friends about the show because it's important that we keep this going. Um, we've actually been doing this for, I guess, over three years now. Um, so I've got, oh, wow. uh, I got, yeah, so that's like about 130, 140 shows out there. Um, so I want to, again, I want to thank you, uh, Jason, for sticking around. Thank everybody who supports the show. Uh, take a look at BlackScienceFictionSociety.com, although I'm looking at everybody in the chat room. You all are already there. But those of you who pick up this as a podcast, check out the, uh, the, the main site because there is a wealth of content that you probably won't find any other place. So on behalf of Jarvis, who is out with his son at, Maybe a football game or some kind of some kind of event. He was not able to, to be here tonight, which left me having to control everything. Um, I want to, on behalf of him, I want to thank everybody for supporting the show, and we will see you all and hear hear from you all next week. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.